You're listening to Chicago's Gospel Podcast, a show that explores how the unchanging gospel of Jesus Christ shapes your life in an ever-changing city. In each episode, we'll take you on a tour of the city to discover how the gospel speaks into both the unique opportunities and challenges Christians face in an urban context. This is a show from Chicago and for Chicago. So let's get to work. Welcome back to Chicago's Gospel Podcast in this second season of the show. My name is Eric Viker. And I'm Will Pareja. And today we get to do what we always do, and that is talk about uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't know about you, Will, but I get excited just by that word. I love the gospel. I hope our listeners can hear that through the airwaves. Do you love the gospel, brother? I do too. Yeah, I would say I actually don't love it enough. Yes. And the uh, God of the gospel, I don't love enough. And may God help even you and me as we discuss the gospel to love it more uh, as we try to work it out in all of life. I'm down for that. Yeah. Uh, today on the show, we want to talk about alternate gospels. Uh, alternate gospels, which might come as a surprise given that we have a singular gospel in the title of our show, Chicago's gospel singular. Uh, There's no plural there. It's as if to say that this is the one, this is the only. So what do we mean by alternate gospels? Well, let me me ask you actually, and and before I sort of, uh, you know, say something that's not all that helpful, are there alternate gospels? And if so, what what do I mean by that? Yes. Um, I mean, if we're just being real about how we talk and how we use language, sure, there's there's different versions of everything. Yeah. And so if if you are a reader of the New York Times and the Washington Post and uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other, the Wall Street Journal, for instance, mm-hmm. um, then... Um, then you know maybe you're content with that. But if you lean a different way politically or ideologically, uh, you are probably reading, you know, like I don't know, the Epoch Times or some other, uh, you know, the the Babylon Bee. <laughs> I don't know. You're reading something, another spin on reality. And so, and so, I think with with the gospel, that there's one true mm. gospel. Oh, but yes, there are many knockoffs. Yes, yeah. And that's why we're here to, I guess, show the, right, the beauty of the one gospel right, right. by not necessarily showing the backdrop of our, the backdrop of our sin, but kind of the, the ugly backdrop of the uh, sorry alternatives. Right, right. So human beings almost instinctively demand a gospel. We, we want something to celebrate. We want something to be enamored with. We, you and I believe that we are not made for ourselves, but we are made for something bigger than ourselves. So whether or not someone recognizes what we truly believe is the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are going to invent or demand from other people some iteration of a gospel that they can subscribe to either formally or just functionally, uh, in order to sort of orient their lives around something bigger than themselves. So when we say there are alternate gospels, uh, I don't think we have enough techie people to soundbite what we're saying and say these guys actually believe there are other gospels out there from these segments. (laughs) But uh, let's be clear up front that we are saying, um, well, there might be other things that pose as gospels out there, and they might actually appear, and they might actually promise to a certain extent on the fact that they are gospels, but they're 
no, they are not good at all. They are no gospels at all compared to the one true gospel. And I would add to that, there's actually a correlation. If you think about the first commandment, you shall have no other gods. Mm. Yahweh, the only one and true God who says, hey, I did all of this for you. Right. He is saying that, obviously with a great deal of self-consciousness, the self-consciousness of God and self-awareness, but he's pressing that on other people. He's recognizing that true reality, real reality, if I were to hack a phrase from Francis Schaeffer, real reality is that there is only one true God. So by correlation, if you're arguing like greater to lesser, well, if gospel comes from God, then there's really only one gospel, mm. even though the God of heaven, the God of the Bible, acknowledges that, oh, yeah, there are tons of gods out there, yeah. small g gods, right. and we revel in the, you know, the one big G gospel, yeah. um, but there are many knockoffs and yeah. the small g gospels, yeah. if you will. Amen. Well, brother... The gospel came to you at a certain point in your life, at least in a, in a capacity where you could sort of recognize that you now subscribe to the gospel of Jesus Christ without telling us, though it's a great story, the whole extent of your story of coming to faith. Can you, can you tell our audience about when you sort of recognized that now you believe in Jesus Christ, the center of the Christian gospel, and by contrast, what the other gospel that you were living by um, at that time, sort of the functional good news that got you up in the morning at that time. Mm. I was born into a Roman Catholic home. This is not at all to denigrate Roman Catholic friends, but that was just the kind of the you know, the the stew that I was in. Mm. And I wouldn't say my parents were the most dedicated, but they were struggling with that. Um, I went to Catholic school. And some of the key things that were ha that happened in those early years from first to third grade were having to um, stand before, go before a priest and confess your sins mm. and then take communion. They really prepared you for that. Um, it, was a, it was a big celebrated thing. And so I was just kind of going along with the flow, uh, not knowing that my parents were somewhat discontent. Mm. Um, so, and when they converted, to, that is, they left the Catholic Church and went to Nord Gospel Chapel um, that, there at Foster and Nagel, um, I knew something was different. Mm. And I kind of went along with that. I said, like, okay, uh, I didn't it didn't really dawn on me. It, was, it wasn't until like a year or two later that we moved to the northwest part of the state um, where I think as a fourth grader, almost fifth grader, that I was invited to some summer church program and they had these guys who were like these, I call them hellfire and brimstone preachers. They're like, you know, green under the kill, 19, 20-year-olds from a Bible college somewhere preaching just a straight-up gospel. So I don't remember much other than being struck with a, a simple and yet deep conviction of sin mm. and my sinfulness, not, not just even particular sins, but that, man, I'm in, a, <laughs> I'm in a bind here that I cannot get myself out of. Right, right. And so I, uh, thankfully, uh, one of the older adults there, um, he, he saw that I was like viscerally, visually struggling and he had tapped me on the shoulder and we talked and I, I trusted Christ then. And, uh, it was simple. It was very, um, can I just say, mere. 
Uh, I can't, you know, there weren't bells and whistles and fireworks, but there was progress going forward. And so life was different for me, even as an almost 10 year old going into the teen years. Yeah. (laughs) It's a great, actually, descriptor about the Christian gospel. It was mere for you. How old were you about this time? Nine, almost 10. Yeah. So even in the recollection of this story, you're saying something about the nature of the gospel that would you say you still subscribe to the same gospel today? Oh, absolutely. Certainly it's probably much more beautiful than it was to you at nine, 10, but it's the same gospel. And this one true gospel that we love and celebrate is accessible to a mere nine-year-old. Yeah, and I know this might be a topic for another podcast as we, we, we often yeah, touch yeah. on these, but but I have to say this. There are times, and I think even Tim Keller speaks of this, when there's like an aha moment later on in your life as a Christian, uh, when it feels like it's a second conversion. Mm. So it's not to say that you weren't believing the gospel before, mm. um, and that it, what true faith didn't happen before, but that there was an apprehension of the gospel uh, in, a, in, a, in a much deeper, even more profound way that kind of rocked your world and mm. kind of felt like that, oh, wow, this is new, this is beautiful. Um, I think that happens to a lot of people. I don't think it happens to everyone. It did to me in college. Mm. And, and that that... That that helped me grow. Yeah. So that, that's a different yeah. discussion. But but if someone were to press you, give me one or two lines on functionally, how would you articulate the gospel that you, I know it might sound silly, but that you were living by around age nine before that? And maybe even, let's start there, and then we can actually talk about what you just described in college, but let's start earlier. Yeah, good question. It was the simple recognition that I'm a sinner, I'm in trouble. I I came into the world, in a sense, believing the religion of my parents. So it was very theistic. So I kind of had the, like I said, the stew of, yeah. uh, you know. God Christ- is out there. General Christianity, Trinitarian. Yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, I accepted those things. But, um, but it was, no, it was that recollection that, okay, I'm a sinner. God sent Jesus, his son, his one and only son, John 3, 16, um, for me. Yeah. And Jesus died on a cross to save me from my worst problem, yeah. my sins. Yeah. And uh, he resurrected. So that that was what I hung my little nine-year-old hat on yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah. I still do. Right. <laughs> so then you get to college. What were maybe some of the areas in your mind or heart that you might have felt still a bit untouched by the implications of the gospel that you sort of felt this almost full homecoming? Mm, I love that phrase, a homecoming. Um, the prodigal keeps coming back <laughs> again and again. We wander. Uh, I would say... I mean, I could I could tell you uh, specific even books and a, a professor that God and His providence used, um, but it was really discovering that my righteousness is not my own. Mm. That's not something I understood as a as a kid. Yet I was I'm sure I truly believed when I was a yeah. kid. I was discovering that that perhaps for a few years I was living trying to please God in a right in my own strength as I, I as I sometimes refer to it it was, it was a sort of like 
Catholicized version or, or a Baptist version of Catholicism of, <laughs> of a works type of righteousness. Baptist stuff runs deep in you. Yes, it does. Uh, but I, I had to get to the point where I had to believe that I was not only justified by faith, but I was also sanctified by faith, being united to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Those were some of the, the, the union with Jesus Christ, his righteousness given to, to me were game changers. Amen. Amen. And that, that actually affected how I read the Bible, right. how I went to church, how I thought about my struggle with sins. So, yeah. So the point that we're trying to make, and yours is just one iteration of this, is that we we sort of functionally live by gospels, whether or not we, you know, fall in love with, with the true gospel. So by way of contrast, not everyone who listens to us and certainly not, not everyone who lives in Chicago who we uh, desire to see saved and come to love Jesus ha- had the same functional gospel or currently have the same functional gospel that you had growing up that was like broadly sort of Christian but not fully convinced in the soul righteousness of Jesus needed mm. for salvation. So, um, So now we turn and ask, okay, what are some of the gospels that people believe in the city of Chicago. I actually, contrary to what we planned, I want to start with Isaiah 22 uh, and and riff on this a little bit uh, because this comes up um, both in the Old Testament and it's fleshed out, I think, more fully in the New Testament. I'm going to hijack a phrase from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 22:13 because the sentiment is true no matter the time or age uh, or place that you live in. And it's in Isaiah 22:13, and, and essentially the gospel is pretty simple. It goes like this. Let's, let's feast and drink for tomorrow we die. Let's feast and drink for tomorrow we die. What does the CSB say? It says, uh, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Same idea, feast, eat, drink, kind of like the feast there because the idea is let's do it big. Why? Yeah. Because tomorrow we die. Yeah, it sounds like uh, a lot of the songs that are played on the radio on for the weekend, you know, TGIF. Yeah, and and I'll ask you in a second, but... why would I call this a, a gospel? Because honestly, there's a lot of good news in this. There is much to feast on in mm-hmm. this amazing world that we say God created, but someone who does not subscribe to our gospel would just say like either exists or mm-hmm. some other God created. But there is much to feast on. I mean, this city loves to eat. I'm mm-hmm. grateful for all the amazing cooks and chefs, men and women out there who, I mean, you could you could frequent a new restaurant in Chicago if you had real deep pockets every <laughs> night of your life and probably not run out of great spots yeah. to go to. So what's the good news in this sort of sentiment? Well, life is great. There's actually, if we play our cards right, there is so much to enjoy in life. Yeah. The it's, tricky thing with that is that it's half true according to our worldview, but f- for for someone who does not subscribe to it that that is that is truth. This is all we've got, so let's live it up. Yeah, I mean, isn't this I don't I mean, it surprises me that Isaiah uses I didn't know this was in the Old Testament. I thought this was very much a a, a kind of first century a Greek mm-hmm. Epicurean, I think. Yeah. Um tagline. Uh, so that that goes to show that 
all right, even though I think it's the Epicureans popularized that, they uh, it wasn't a novel idea. Mm. So our our sayings today, thank goodness it's Friday. Mm. How about carpe diem? What is carpe diem? Seize the day, right? right. Other than man, which assumes what about today? This is all I got. Yeah. Let's let's in a sense live in the moment, which I understand that right. live in the moment kind of language. It's half, it's half the truth. It is half the truth. You're yeah. right. Yeah. So the bad news on the other side of this is that tomorrow we die. That um, is also partially true. <laughs> if 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 all you believe is that death is just the end right. of everything as you know it. Right, right. So whether or not it's actual food or drink, what are ways that you have seen over the past over decade of living here, people kind of live according to the spirit in the city of Chicago? Hmm. Well, I'll tell you the one I saw within the last 24 hours. It struck me. I was like, oh, I've got to use this in a, in a sermon, but I'll use it now. <laughs> Maybe I'll use it in a sermon yeah. too. <laughs> it's, I'm walking down the street here in our neighborhood of the church, and I see a, uh, just some cardboard sign that somebody wrote up and said, it says this, voting saves lives. Mm. That's a gospel. Yeah. How does that relate to this sort of sentiment of feasting and drinking for tomorrow we die? I think it does. Because what it's saying, because, you know, we have an election coming up soon and I'm sure even more elections. It says what's right in front of us is what can save us. Yeah. It's ultimate. It's ultimate. It's, yeah. Yes. There's nothing more ultimate than, than in a sense what's in front of you. So you, that's why we live for the weekend. That's why we live for the next vacation. Or you live for the, the evening when, you know, you can hammer some drinks down or whatever it is. Um, we're always looking at that next thing as the last. Mm, right. Yeah. It's fascinating how that connects to this. But the, the sentiment is, is just so short-sighted. Mm-hmm. There's no eternity past to root ourselves in within the creation of God and the, the scheme of, of God's redemption, and there's no future to really look forward to. But, but let me ask a question as it's coming to my mind. Is there a opposite version of this? So this is clearly my, myopic. Yeah. Myopic. What do you mean by that? Short-sighted. Yeah. All right. Uh, but is there a version that is like long-sighted? Like, I guess what you just said, optimistic? Something yeah, that's got a yeah. long view of this is a this is a like glass half full kind of person looking at the 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 reality of death. What does McCullough call it in his book? Death awareness. Is it yeah? Yeah. Um remember death, good book. <laughs> Little plug there. Yeah. But uh death awareness if if you live longer than 13 seconds, you know, you realize that people are dying. It's hard to avoid that. So this is a spin on death. Look, because we're dying, we got to make the most of this. Well, I think we're also seeing, to your question, the flip side of this. Tomorrow we die, so who cares about today? Like, why not just hurry, hurry it up? That is death mm. and take my own life. I heard yesterday that there are stats out that three out of 10 high school girls in a recent study have considered suicide in the last year. Three out of 10 high school girls or something like that. Maybe that's it was higher. Staggering. And it was like 14% of boys, like 14 out of 100 boys or something like that. Wow. So 
I'm not at all trying to make light of that. But this gospel, this not, no gospel at all, as we're going to talk about, that, that, all, that might be a response to it. If tomorrow's, tomorrow we die and that's all we got and life kind of sucks right now, yeah. then why not just try to move up um, what might appear to be the best day ever and, and hurry up that death and just escape right now? Mm. Um, so to your question, I think that is, that's at least one iteration of the opposite of this Epicurean spirit that even mm. Isaiah was dealing with um, in Isaiah 22. Not, not very good news. But again, it, it, it's half true, and it's tapping into things that Christians actually should celebrate. Well, since tomorrow we live, and since tomorrow we have a feast with the Son of Man, with Christ Jesus at the wedding feast of the, of the Lamb, we don't expect this feast to ever fully satisfy us. Mm-hmm. You and I just ate lunch an hour ago, and we're going to eat dinner in a few hours. We mm-hmm. know that these meals can't satisfy, but we also know that we can eat and drink and be happy because tomorrow we live, and we live on mm-hmm. into eternity where we will have a much more delightful feast with the Son of God Himself. It sounds very Ecclesiastes-ish, <laughs> in a sense. Like enjoy what you have right. in front of you. Right. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I've heard one way of greeting people here in America is sometimes people ask you, "So, what's good?" <laughs> you know, and, and they, you know, they most people don't necessarily when they ask you how you're doing. The most people don't want to hear something negative or bad. Mm. And I think that is also a barometer of how we approach life and, the, and good news. You know, so, um, yeah, I think the, the thing is that people want only good. And isn't that some that is it is a, like a naturally human instinct? So, but so twisted. When you say like it's a half something is a half truth, that's so that's so true. What what the devil in the garden tempted Adam and Eve? He 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 sold them a bill of goods on half truths. Right. There yeah. actually was one that they couldn't take of. Yeah. God yeah. was restricting them. So, you know, that's why you know I, I would hope people would visit our church and visit other gospel churches to see that, that there are, we're just like you. We're mm-hmm. like other Chicagoans. Um, we're not so far removed because we feel some of the same things. We think very similarly, mm-hmm. but here's the difference when it comes to news and goodness. And it's that we have discovered the other side of truth. That's mm-hmm. not something that's hidden. And that's what gospel is. It's news is by nature a public thing. Yeah. So the Christian message, this good news, is not a, a hidden thing. Um, it's it's meant to go out, and so that's why we're meant to gospelize, to evangelize. Yeah. Um, if you're not a Christian listening to this, you're probably thinking, "Oh, this is like you know, you guys are converting." Yeah. I mean, that's what God does. God changes hearts, but He does it with this message that we call the gospel. Amen. Amen. Well, as we turn now to Galatians 1, as we kind of close this out, uh, let me put a kind of parting word on on Isaiah 22. I do think this gospel is alive and well in our city, but no one 
no one explicitly states it like this. It's more so like assumed and you're caught up into the spirit of this kind of gospel. It, it's kind of the current that, that moves in the Chicago River and, and hmm. you, you feel like you're just sitting stationary in a tube, but you're actually being carried along in this stream, which is like the functional gospel in, in our city. So, I mean, l- let me just... I I love architecture. I love the city. I love our skyline. But you just, we've had some major developments on our skyline in the past few years. And people are trying to build higher, trying to build bigger, trying to build more beautiful. And we get blessed by it. It is gorgeous. But I do think that there there is something that makes that kind of gesture tick. And that is, if this is all we got, if tomorrow we die, then we got to experience the most transcendent things we can. Food, pleasure, the greatest heights overlooking Lake Michigan and a world-class city. And kind of that spirit uh, of attaining the best now because this is all we got pervades the city. And, and, And actually whole cities do this. So it's not, it's a human thing, but you put a bunch of humans in power. Uh, over cities and they do this. So when I was in uh, Turkey back in the fall, I flew out of the newest airport, huge. Like I, it was enormous. It was massive. But my friend had told me, uh, somebody told me that, well, it was the biggest for a while until China, somebody in, in China and Shanghai, they just one up, yeah. <laughs> it one up Turkey on right, that, and just right. it kind of infuriated the Turks. <laughs> or if you think of like for the longest time, what we used to be known as the Sears Tower was the tallest building in the world. We had that in Chicago. That is nowhere even close now. Right. And when I was in Dubai, I saw the Burj Khalifa. But regardless of regardless of your skin color, your ethnicity, you get into a city. And you're put in with competitive people who want to make that city the best there right, is, right. or at least better than yeah. than the one under you or over you. So that's one gospel. I mean, I would encourage you to sort of try to pause even now as you're listening to this podcast and consider like, what are what are the messages that are being heralded explicitly or implicitly, just assumed that people in your context live by, and how does the gospel stand in stark contrast to that? Mm-hmm. Well, we turn now to probably the, one of the most important passages about this concept of alternate gospels in Galatians 1, probably briefly, but read for us there. Yeah, Galatians 1, 6 through 9. I'm amazed, the Apostle Paul says, that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But, in, but if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. Mm. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. Mm. And that is, Paul is, is bringing to the attention of his readers the possibility of straying from the one true gospel. He doesn't put himself past it. He doesn't put angels past mm-hmm. it. So whether he's exaggerating here or whatever, it's it, that's besides the point. He's saying is that we we have we have no um, authority to tamper with this message. Yeah. Why? Why? Why is he so obsessed with this gospel? Well, 
I mean, because he knows it's the only, is the only way to be justified. Yeah. The gospel of God is the power to save both to the Jew and to the Greek. So if you get this wrong. Yeah, you, get, you tweak it by a degree out of your harbor. You sail out of your harbor and pretty soon, well, eventually, yeah. you'll be off course. Yeah. So you need the gospel of Jesus Christ to get to heaven, to be right with God. Mm. At the core of what we are as human beings is uh, whether or not you think about it, you'd mentioned about being carried uh, along the, kind of like a, the tide or, or drifting, is we don't think about our relationship to God much. But here's the thing, you have to think about your relationship to God. That's the most important thing that matters. It doesn't matter if you don't think about it. You need to think about it because how you relate are related to God is everything. Mm. It determines your future. Oh. And if you're told something that's often not true or sounds sort of true, but and you go for it, you buy it, it still will damn you. Yeah. And that's why Paul's so like a curse beyond that person. Yeah. yeah. I'm accursed, an angel's accursed, anyone who tampers with this. Yeah. And distorts it. So let's briefly try to draw out what we know about the church in Galatia. What were they explicitly ascribing to or implicitly ascribing to as their new gospel? I think they were very tempted to to go towards um, using works of the law uh, to justify themselves. Mm. I think they probably in their heads knew that they were saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. But even this church is an example that churches can get off course by um, not rekindling and um, rejuvenating in the gospel. So they they got they kind of slipped into works mentality. Yeah, and what's I mean, he's he's at least in name saying you know this is another gospel. He's going to say it's no gospel at all, of course. But what what do you think they? actually believed was good about this. What is so good to the human mind if I can be justified by works? Hmm. Well, here's the thing. In signing up to believe the gospel or to follow Jesus, it doesn't look immediately uh, fruitful. It doesn't look like it pays dividends. Hmm. And so I think we're wired as humans for return on investment, for I want to see something. So... You could say you believe in this story about this carpenter from Nazareth who did all these things but and rose again even. But you may live like that doesn't his life didn't matter. And you may live in your own kind of works. See, why? Because you can see them. You can control that. And if you're in control of how you can please God and be justified before God, then you have you have deceived yourself into an alternate gospel. Yeah, yeah. And I'm curious if you agree or disagree, but it kind of puts God in your back pocket and which essentially puts you on the throne to use baptized Christian language, but it, it makes you God and he is sort of doing your dirty work because, well, you've earned your justification. You've earned your right into his presence and his kingdom and, mm. and his new creation. So you you are sovereign if you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make yourself good enough, great enough um, for God's approval. 
Yeah, and another way to think of the gospel by, in a phrase is, is sovereign grace. Mm. You just mentioned the word sovereign. Yeah. Well, grace is getting that which we don't deserve. Mm. It is is God taking a step towards us, God doing something, and it is his sovereign choice, his sovereign good pleasure. There is, If there is any sliver of sovereignty that I have, then there is no sovereign God in yeah. the gospel. Yeah. I have a different God. I have a different gospel. If you have a different God, you have a different gospel. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Well, for the sake of time, we better land this plane, but by way of sort of final uh, putting a pin in this, we'd say that any other gospel is no gospel at all because mm-hmm. first and foremost, it's not true. Um, eat and drink for, we, for tomorrow we die is half true. It doesn't tell the whole picture about eternity, yeah. uh, that some will be raised to life and some will be raised to damnation. Um, so it, it's false. Uh, it's also just not as good. The psalmist says that in your presence there is fullness of joy, yeah. and at your right hand, at Yahweh's right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So anything short of the gospel is is not the fullness of joy and the fullness of pleasure that we were actually created for mm-hmm. in God. So it's not as good as the as the Christian gospel. One, two things that you'd say by way of contrast. How how is a true gospel different from these false yeah. gospels? Uh, what you said is just extremely liberating, and why it's good to talk about it even on a recorded show like this. Um, the one thing I wouldn't land the plane with is is that um, we. I think Tim Keller popularized this. I don't know if he came up with it, but. It's it's biblical. If we we don't work for our righteousness, for our salvation, we work from it. So hashtag prepositions matter, yo. <laughs> uh, so we do not work to make ourselves better, to clean ourselves up for for God's approval. We work from His approval. Amen. That is the gospel. That is extremely liberating. Anything else. Is drudgery, mm. which is anti-joy. Yeah, amen. Well, praise God for his gospel, and, and we believe that in the free offer of the gospel. So if you're listening and you, you're maybe familiar with this language and you want to learn more about the gospel, the ideal would be to talk to a, a solid gospel-believing Christian that you know. They'd be overjoyed if you reached out to them to uh, just explore this conversation more. This is just the tip of the iceberg of this conversation. So reach out to a friend, family member, if that's you. If you don't have someone like that in your life, then you can find a contact uh, option on our website, asccchicago.org. Someone from our church would be overjoyed to talk with you about that um, as well. And um, if anyone like knows any sponsors who want to you know, sponsor Chicago's Gospel <laughs> Podcast, like uh, Intelligentsia Coffee or something, <laughs> we could have on. nice you know, coffee bags sitting on our table. <laughs> um, just you know, let us know. <laughs> we, we, we've had to be selective with our uh, zero offers of sponsors so far. So, and uh, we'll see you next time on Chicago's Gospel Podcast. Thanks for joining the conversation on Chicago's Gospel Podcast. If you're benefiting from these conversations, consider sharing this podcast episode with a friend or neighbor. We would also love to hear about topics you want to discuss. So reach out to us with your ideas at gospel at ASCCChicago.org. Until next time, remember that Christ's unchanging gospel is transforming your life in an ever-changing city.